HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. All right, welcome to the HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You are tuned into the Farm Report. I'm your host, Erin Fairbanks, and we are coming to you from the back of Roberta's Pizza in beautiful Bushwick, Brooklyn. And today we have a very exotic crew uh, in in the studio with us, um, Ben and Daniel DeCoro of Fossil Farms. Guys, welcome to the studio. Well, thanks, Erin. Thanks for having us yeah, today. Thank you so much. So I have to admit, you guys aren't that exotic because you're, you're, you're from our neighbor state, New Jersey, but, but what you guys do at Fossil Farms is kind of what I'm interested in learning more about today. So maybe, uh, Ben, if you can give us a, a little bit of an overview uh, of what you sell. I'm assuming it's not petrified rocks and bones. No, it's not exactly fossils or petrified rocks. Um, Fossil Farms started 15 years ago as an ostrich farm. Two brothers, Lance and Todd, had the idea of taking a relatively unknown protein and bring it into the mainstream market. At that point, the Atkins diet was kind of just hitting, so a lot of people were looking for those low-fat, high-protein um, proteins and meats. So the ostrich industry really kind of took off. From that beginning, chefs and restaurateurs would ask us, okay, you have ostrich. Can you get me venison? Can you get me bison? Can you get me wild boar? And so our product line slowly grew. Um, all of our products are 100% all-natural from birth to slaughter. Um, so we have that kind of built in from the beginning, and we work with ranchers both locally, regionally, nationwide, and, and we do, do some importing. Wow. So um, the from ostrich into a, a whole range of things. So I'm curious, like, when you, when, when you started to kind of look around for other products to bring in, I mean... I can't imagine there was like a, a plethora of, you know, alligator or rattlesnake or venison farms. I mean, how did you go about deciding what products to bring into the mix and identifying kind of what producers to be working with? Um, well, I mean, we listened to our customers. You know, our customers would ask us for things. And because we were, we started with the ostrich already being kind of an obscure meat, not widely used or known, 
our customers said, okay, well, that's what you're known for. Can you get me the venison? Can you get me the bison, the other game meats? Um, we A lot of it was by luck, finding the right partner ranches, the right partner farms to work with that understood what we were trying to do and supported us in the beginning. Um, to date, we work with over 68 ranches nationwide, from anything from like the alligator and the frog's legs and the rattlesnake through bison and wild boar, different species of pork, and so on and so forth. So we've been really fortunate in finding the right partners to work with, the ones that are transparent in what they're doing. We don't work with farms and ranches. We don't have the ability to go see what they're doing, understand their philosophies, um, and, and have that transparency go through to our customer base. So today there's the complete storyline is there. You know, we're, not, uh, we're not hiding behind anything, and we do process the whole animal, so we have the, the ability to aggregate those products throughout the whole market. Now, so... Ben, you are our director of, of national sales. Yes, I'm the, the sales manager and corporate chef. Okay, and then Daniel, you're you focus primarily on on New York City and Brooklyn. Correct. Brook- yeah, yeah. Okay. Cool. So uh, I'm curious, like you know, you were located in New Jersey, so obviously you have close ties to the city, uh, booming kind of trade for for chefs and like adventurous restaurateurs. Um, where else around the country are you? I mean, are, do you also sell to home consumers? And, and, like, where are the kind of big markets for your products? Uh, we do distribute nationwide. Um, certainly consumer sales off of our website and out of our retail store in Boot, New Jersey, are, are pretty strong because there's really nowhere you can go to get this type of assortment of products. Um, so between food service sales, we distribute nationwide. We deal with restaurants direct, hotels, resorts direct, certainly things like ski resorts um, in season. They do a lot of game meets um, because it is a seasonal type thing. Um, In the consumer side of things, consumers are now starting to wake up and and really want to try different things. You know, the the cookie cutters of, of beef, pork, and chicken being the main proteins all the time, that's starting to dissolve. And when consumers are going out looking for different proteins, we're kind of a, a pretty good spot to to land because we offer so many products in convenient packaging. Um, so they're a big part of, of our business in terms of the variety that we carry. Um, but we work with national accounts that do different types of game burgers as well as, you know, three- and four-star restaurants here in town in Chicago and Atlanta and, and all over the country. Mm-hmm. And uh, so... So Daniel, what's hot in what, what's hot in Brooklyn right now? I mean, are people like knocking at your door for something specific? Yeah, I mean, this time of year, it, it is really all about game, um, and I, I'm seeing a lot of movement on both bison and wild boar because I feel like um, the clientele in Brooklyn, in particular, is really knowledgeable. And I think chefs are starting to listen to that, just as they kind of came to us and originally asked us for these game meats. I think customers are starting to pull that demand through the chefs and they're really looking for different things and with both bison and wild boar being so closely linked to their uh, domesticated kind of pigs and cattle it's an easy um, an easy transition for chefs to kind of please their customers with that kind of game but it's still it's still approachable but different enough to be special yeah something to stand out now uh, it's not you know i grew up in in northern michigan eating wild game you know rabbit and deer and bear and and that was stuff that my dad spent countless hours you know baiting and hunting and skinning and processing now you guys aren't working with wild game you're working exclusively with farm game or can you do both uh for the most part it's all farmer's game we do some wild game like product that comes in from scotland 
um, which has got the birdshot in it and all that. Um, but realistically, everything we do is USDA processed and inspected. So in order to achieve that, it has to be raised on a, on a controlled environment. Um, that being said, when you look at an elk ranch, it's not necessarily like a, a typical farm that you would think. It's still thousands of acres of rangeland, but they're culling the animals once they come up to the right size or the right finish and then go into processing. So so it's not there, – there's no, like, confinement elk operation that we need to be worried about? Not at all. No, not Someone kind of threw up a fence around a couple hundred or a few thousand acres and said, all right, you know, from within here. But, they, I mean, obviously there is some kind of, like, herd management that happens. Oh, kind absolutely. Of- I mean, it, it's a very um, intensive process because game meets – they, they're still wild and they're not domesticated in any in any stretch of the imagination so they still need to have that natural environment in order to develop the flavors that we seek um in terms of in, intensive or confinement no i i don't know anyone that could try to confine a bison or or an elk uh they, they wouldn't have it and it, it doesn't it doesn't speak well to the product to, to raise things that way at all sure because i well, it's interesting because obviously when you're looking at uh, flavor profiles and, and carcass uh, composition in, in game, it's a result of the genetics, but also a result of kind of their diet and their growing practices. And what do you think it is that people are, you know, when people think game, um, can we talk maybe some like positive and negative stereotypes that you guys run into that you're, you know, how, are you, how do you talk about it internally? And Well, I mean... Game meat, if you go back not even 80 years ago, it was it was regular menu items anywhere you went. Um, it, was, it was much more part of our of our American diet because it was pre-industrial agriculture, and that's what was available. So now that the consumers and the restaurants and the chefs are becoming more educated and really trying to get back to the roots of, of where our food comes from, how it's produced, um, being more local and sustainable, these meats are, are coming back into the limelight. Um, as far as stigmatisms, I, I think we've been kind of conditioned to look at gay meats as being something that you might try once in a while. Um, whereas, again, 80 years ago, it was part of the every American diet. Like you said, you know, you, know, you grew up in the Midwest and you had rabbits and venison and, and that because that's what was available. Um, I think most chefs are, are willing to, to take the chance and put it out in the menu. Maybe not so much on the exotics because they still have to sell it. You know, if it's got a spot on their menu, they have to be able to sell it, and the consumers have to be accepting of it. But the more chefs and restaurateurs and retailers are offering these products and getting them out in front of consumers, the more acceptable they are. Um, you know, the fact that we break down the whole of the carcass and produce not just the, the rib racks or the strip loins, but also the burgers and the sausages, mm-hmm. we, we offer so many different platforms to try these new types of proteins that even if a consumer might not be apt to try a... A, a elk chop, they'll try the elk burger or the elk sausage. So like finding an, an accessible kind of entry point for folks. Exactly. Right. So I, I know working with farmers at, at finding a, a produce, you know, finding a buyer for the whole animal is, is, it's a huge relief. I mean, essentially, it's like you do your job kind of caring for and, and bringing the animal to slaughter. And then after that, you know, you guys kind of step in and take care of the rest. Um, was that like a conscious decision or was that kind of something that you got feedback from farmers with? I'm just wondering if you can talk a little bit more about the, the relationship that you have with farmers and in, in the beginning years, kind of how you decided what your standards were going to be, the protocols, the way you would work with them. Um, well, I mean, starting as an ostrich farm, um, an ostrich doesn't yield a lot of meat, so you have to find a use for the whole of the animal. 
Um, for the first three years, that's all the company did. So the, the knowledge of having to utilize a whole animal was there before we started going out and finding other products to sell. And the model works a lot better when you're buying the whole carcass and you're utilizing the whole thing as opposed to just buying ribeyes or strip loins because you still have to sell the rest of the animal. Um, you know, out of every bison, you might get 50, 60 pounds of rib meat, but you're going to get 500 pounds of ground meat. So the, in terms of sustainability and utilization, you have to use the whole animal. Um, it helps keep costs in line. It helps from a sustainability standpoint to the, to the farmers and producers because they have that assurance that right, I'm not just worried about selling 10% of my animal. I'm going to sell 100% of it, and it's all sold and good. And it, it allows them to have the confidence to continue to grow their operations, to continue their breeding, and, and do more capital investment back into their farms so that they can support growth. Now, I know with the ostrich in particular that, um, which I know is a separate company now, but I know that you do non-edibles. You know, there's, uh, you do work with the ostrich leather, and I've seen kind of the big, beautiful eggs kind of on display at the Union Square Green Market. Is that true for the rest of the product line, or is it something you're starting to work in? Or, um, I mean, there is a market for every part of each of each product that we sell, so... And uh, as an example with ostrich, yes, the hides are very sought after by leather manufacturers, handbag, uh, boot manufacturers. The oils are um, exquisite for beauty products, um, probably some of the most sought after animal fats for beauty products in, in the world. Um, the quills or the, the feathers are some of the nicest feathers to use for flying uh, fly fishing ties. So there is a market for it all, but you have to go out and find it. Um, yeah. you know, they don't come knocking on your door and saying, oh, you know, you're raising ostrich, I want the feathers. So you know, developing those markets and working with the various farms that we work with and, and identifying what products work well um, is, is a big part of what we do. I mean, our mainstream business is, is food service and consumer meat sales, but along with that comes the responsibility to utilize the, all the animal. Right, and I, I think that same kind of sustainable and holistic approach that the company was founded on is still something that we practice today, uh, not only in trying to sell the whole of the animal, but in the ways that the animals are raised themselves. Um, we're extremely principled about that, and pretty much anything out of the 300-some-odd products that we have to offer are all raised with the same standards of stewardship and sustainability. And we really look to, to partner with farms who kind of share that same vision and values. Um, what, is, what is kind of the model now? Do you guys, um, do producers, because you're working with them across the country, then do you have relationships with slaughterhouses and processing facilities in different spots around the country, I'm assuming? And and then do you aggregate things to a, a few different locations, or how does it kind of come together? So if I'm a consumer on your website and I want, you know, a couple of frog legs and a little bit of rattlesnake and a saddle of venison, how, do, how, how is that coming to me? Um, well, because we carry such a large variety of products, um, you're exactly right that we work with slaughterhouses and processing facilities nationwide. You know, wherever it makes sense to have those animals processed in proximity to the farm or, or the culling operation. Um, everything comes into our facility, our distribution facility in Bhutan. And from there, we ship it out, sell it, package it wherever it needs to go. Um, there are some items that we import just because there's not the means or the network here in the U.S. to produce things like venison. Um, yeah, venison's a big category in game meats, but there's very few red deer venison farms here in the U.S. that can support a food service style operation. Interesting. So 
Um, we need to take a, a short break, and when we come back, I want to talk uh, a little bit more about cost and nutrition. So hang tight. You're listening to Bang Bang Sun by Iggy Dean on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Are you a locavore? Our Northeast Regional Forager for Whole Foods Market sure is. She spends her time traveling around the New York City metro area sourcing the best new or interesting artisanal and handcrafted local products for our purchasing teams at the local store level. Part of our commitment to our local suppliers includes assisting them with the process of getting their products sold at our stores. Whether it's suggesting packaging designs, pricing, or distribution methods, she's helping some of the area's best new products reach savvy shoppers at Whole Foods Market stores. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. We are back. You have tuned into the Farm Report on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Aaron Fairbanks, and we're in studio with Ben and Daniel DeCoro of Fossil Farms talking uh, exotic meats. And before the break, we were, we're starting to touch a little bit on uh, how your delivery distribution system works. And I wanted to chat just for a minute about slaughter facilities. And I know that's a big topic here in the Northeast is kind of the lack of small-scale regional uh, processing facility, slaughter facilities, processing facilities that are USDA inspected. And I can only imagine as you're dealing with particularly unique products that as you look across the country, um, that can be a real challenge for you to find processors to work with. And, and do you find it easier in some regions than others? And you can talk about a little bit of how that um, area of your business is developing. Sure. There's... Uh there's a huge amount of infrastructure that's already in place in throughout the Midwest and the Western states for processing and slaughtering. Um, as far as the smaller scale, especially here in the Northeast, there is very few, and it's a it's a it's a challenge for a lot of small farmers. 
we're fortunate in the fact that we have a lot of partner slaughterhouses here in the Northeast that work with us to do our ostrich to our pork to our beef to whatever the case may be. Um, and they, they understand that one hand kind of washes the other. You know, they, they work with us, but in turn, that farmer may have other products that they need processed to sell in a farmer's market, so on and so forth. Game meats, by law, don't have to be inspected USDA. It's, it's a, an exemption. We choose to make that extra step to, for insurance that everything is done USDA. So it's challenging, but we've been at this for 15 years, so we've already identified many of the, the players that we need to be working with that do the right job, um, that understand our needs. Um, we're a small company, but we have a big, long reach. So turnaround time is pretty critical for us. We don't have a massive warehouse where we warehouse you know, th- thousands of pounds of product, so we're always getting product in and out all the time. And our processors, our slaughterhouses understand that, that you know, when we uh, order whatever the case may be, 15 head of bison to be processed, that it gets processed, it gets broken down and shipped to us within days. Um, so that's a big strength of our operation. And in terms of distribution, that's probably one of the biggest strengths of fossil farms is our ability to get product from our distribution facility anywhere in the country in a matter of days and in a variety of different avenues to get it there. And are you guys dealing with uh, fresh or frozen? Both. 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 Yeah, game meats, uh, all of our processing is done without gas flush, um, which is pretty prevalent in, in today's processing world where they, they pump out all the oxygen and, and pump in, I believe it's hydrogen and nitrogen that preserves the freshness. Um, we kind of feel that there's been so much emphasis put on raising the products without any synthetic or, or unnatural products that at the last possible second of intervention it doesn't make any sense to do that so game meats by nature don't have a long shelf life they're almost virtually fat free um, and they typically get about a 14 day fresh shelf life so we'll bring them in fresh or if it's something like an osso which really doesn't make a lot of sense to keep fresh it would be frozen so that 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 freshness uh the freshness issue um and the, and the nutrition issue that you kind of just touched on. You guys have a lot of nutrition information on your website, which I thought was really interesting. Um, you know, low-fat, game, game is by nature low-fat um, because the animals are just essentially exercising more and, and the genetic typing for them is, is different, but... And, and most of them are grass-fed. Uh, I mean, our, our wild boar are, are allowed to uh, forage in, in, the, in the pastures, in the woodlands, so they're getting their natural diet. Um, it is a wild boar, but so it's going to have that natural propensity to retain fat, um, but it's a, a better quality fat than you might find in industrial pork. Venison, elk, bison, they're all grass-fed. So, you know, when you, you think about grass-fed beef, which is extremely popular right now, bison's America's original grass-fed red meat, and it has sustained populations on this on this. Uh, continent for for centuries so really bringing those meats back into the focal point and from a nutrition standpoint i would say well over 80 percent of our of our product line is extremely nutritional from minerals and vitamins that are naturally occurring through the grasses that they're eating and the low fat contents um, most of the red game meats are almost 90 percent fat free yeah. And the other aspect to think about is, I mean, everyone kind of knows that it's important to eat a diversity of fruits and vegetables. We think about eating the rainbow, but when you think about proteins, everyone's so limited. It's pork, beef, poultry, and fish. So, I mean, that's another thing that we kind of preach on an individual level is choose the other proteins, choose from the diversity. And, you know, because of that, you're going to be 
healthier just because you are eating different types of proteins, many of which are lower in fat and cholesterol. How does that, you know, I think we always take for granted that most of what we purchase comes with, you know, uh, a UPC code and uh, nutritional facts, um, but but you guys didn't just pull that out of nowhere. I mean, how how does that process work when you're when you want to be able to convey that information to your customers? Uh, there's a certain amount of, of rigor and regulation that goes behind that. So, what type of investment is that for you guys to kind of keep that up to date? Uh, it's it's considerable. Um, you know, there is a a large database of many of our our proteins that are already listed with their nutritionals. But if we come out with a new profile of, of a burger or a sausage, we have to put that in for nutritional testing, and that's how we, we gain that information. Um, yeah. Is that you just sent, I mean, like, do you just send a sample off to some, like, magical land somewhere, and then they send it back, and they say, okay, six grams of fat, 127 calories. It's, it's a nutritional lab yeah. um, that you, you put in the sample of product, and they run it through the whole testing, and then they give you back the, exactly what you said, like, the grams of fat, the cholesterol, the protein contents, and the minerals, and all that, yeah. Interesting. I was kind of, like, tempted to send some, you know, just, like, send, you know, like, send whatever you want. You, know, you like, may be surprised at the results, so oh, be careful man. what you choose. <laughs> Sometimes it's better not to know. Um, well, I want to talk a little bit about cost. Um, uh, you know, I'm curious because these, uh, uh, many of the items that you carry are in, in more limited supply. Um, I would make the assumption that you can command a, a higher price, but I would say too, probably at every step along the supply chain that they're more costly at this point to produce as well. So how do you guys deal with, um, you know, setting the correct prices, both for what you pay your farmers um, but then also what you charge your your customers. I just considering you're not looking to you know the national commodity market for rattlesnake right. tails in the same way that right. you know yeah. another producer might. I mean, it's a benefit um, to us as far as our product line that we're not based on the commodity market. So if the cost of grain goes through the roof and eighty percent of our products aren't fed any grain, it really doesn't affect our bottom line prices. We don't tell our farmers what what price we're going to pay. We, they set the price. Um, at the end of the day, everyone's got to be profitable throughout the whole value chain in order for it to work and be sustainable. So if our farmer needs X amount of dollars for the carcass, that's what we're going to pay. And then we find the cost savings through processing the whole of the animal. So whether it be producing the burgers and the sausages as well as the short ribs and all the various cuts, we then do our yield testing and we derive at what our cost is and we, we, we sell it for what the market will bear. Um, realistically, many of the rib meats or the loin meats of a lot of our products are reasonably high priced, but you get a much higher yield out of them because there is no fat to trim off of it. Um, and we go through the extra steps in processing to make sure it's all a close trim so that our customers are getting a fully usable product. Sure. And I mean, obviously it's balancing the cost across all of the cuts. So some, you know, you're not going to be able to command much for, you know, hooves or i mean feet, right. trotters i guess that's like something we struggle with in the in the pork world right um oh man i just lost my train of thought what um so what 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 do you guys have in store for the future i mean any any plans for the next couple of years any transitions any new product lines um what are you looking forward to yeah i mean we're we're a constantly evolving company um we're always looking to expand and improve on our product lines, um, improve on the way that we go about sourcing and distributing those products. Uh, we do have some projects in works for this year. We entered in a, uh, an agreement with Slow Foods New York with their producer matrix. So we're really looking to uh, build up more of a, a strength 
because we have the ability to aggregate those products and sell them into different markets, what we found working with the local farms is they're somewhat limited in they need to sell the whole pig or they need to sell the whole side of beef. They're not, they're not necessarily apt to be able to just sell the ribeye. Um, we can act as that aggregate and we can take the carcass in and break it down into all the various cuts and be able to put those out into the market where they need to be. So that's one project that we're, um, we've entered into that we're really starting to grapple with and figure out how it's going to work. Um, as well, we have some we have some other local programs that are pretty exciting. We're doing some private be- breeding programs for a couple of restaurants here in town, which um, is pretty exciting because from a sustainability standpoint, it's 100% sustainable. You know, everything one farm produces goes to one restaurant and vice versa. Um, so those are some fun projects that we're working on. Uh, we are getting ready to launch a retail line, which should be out by the end of this year. Um, so hopefully we'll be able to see those in the supermarkets and have those options of the elk and the venison and the bison available to consumers on a regular basis. Um, we are just about out of time, but I'm so curious, um, with all these, with all, with all the game and all the varieties of proteins at your fingertips, what are you guys cooking at home? I made uh, some bison short rib chili nachos for the Super Bowl, and they were delicious. So I strongly recommend anybody try to uh, substitute bison short ribs and, and for beef next time. <laughs> when, you, when you come over for dinner, when friends come to your house, are they like, what are we going to have? What's he going to bring? Usu- like, usually, yeah, they're, they're used to it by now. They just bring their appetite and know that they'll be taken care of. Nice, nice. How about you, Ben? Uh, well, for the Super Bowl, we did some venison sliders that were really good. And then I took some wild boar belly that I cured out and then kind of slow roasted that with some pork tenderloins. And that was delicious. Wow. All right. Well, I'm going to be waiting for my dinner invitation <laughs> patiently. Um, thank you so much for joining us in studio. It's been really great to learn a little bit more about your operation. And I look forward to uh, tucking in with some of your farmers. Hopefully we can make some connections to bring some of the producers you work with on the on the network. Um, if you want to find out more about Fossil Farms, you can visit them at www.fossilfarms.com. This has been another episode of The Farm Report. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, as always, this and all 30 of our weekly programs can be found uh, for free as, as a download through iTunes. We're on Stitcher Smart Radio, and everything, of course, is archived on our website, where if you would like to support the work we're doing, we'd love to see you as members. Visit us at www.heritageradionetwork.com. And tune in next week for another episode of The Farm Report. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a non-profit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. What's hot at the green market? You're about to find out now. It's the Grow NYC Market Update. Hello and welcome to the Grow NYC Market Update. This is Jack Inslee subbing in for Aaron Fairbanks on this lovely Thursday afternoon. And uh, we've got Jean Hodesh on the line. Jean, how's it going? Hey, how are you, Jack? I'm doing well. It's beautiful out. Uh, it is beautiful. 
beautiful out. <laughs> so which, uh, which neighborhood are we going to this week? So this week I wanted to talk about my own little neighborhood of Windsor Terrace in uh, just south of Prospect Park in Brooklyn. Um, we got a nice little neighborhood market there last year, and it just reopened this last Sunday for its second season. And even though it was rainy all day, neighbors were really excited that it was there. They were happy to see it again, and they came down toting their bags of kitchen scraps to drop off at our compost collection, and they were pretty excited to pick up fresh fruits and vegetables. So the market is located just outside PS 154. It's on 11th Avenue between Sherman Street and Windsor Place, and the customers are a lot of young families. There's actually a lot of GrandMyC staff that live in the neighborhood that come by, and Marty Markowitz the borough president also actually lives over there, so I've seen him at the market before. And then on Wednesdays, also in Windsor Terrace, in the southwest corner of Prospect Park, we have the Bartle Pritchard Square Green Market, and that just reopened a couple weeks ago. So it's a really nice place to stop on Wednesday mornings on your way to work. You can stop at Dub Pie and get a cup of coffee, and then go into the market, um, which is actually in the entrance to the park. You can go to Bread Alone and get a pastry and maybe sit in the park for a minute before you head off into your day. Yeah, it sounds relaxing. That's nice. And uh, what about some of the farmers and products at that market? Yeah, so on Sundays at the PS154 market in front of the school, um, you'll find European-style fresh and aged cheese from Shepherd Valley Creamery, and they also make some really amazing sheep's milk yogurt that is if you haven't tried it, they sell it at a number of our markets. It's highly recommended. Uh, there are apples and irresistible cider donuts from Williams Fruit Farm. There's fresh bread from Baker's Bounty. And then Globaki Farms uh, has this amazing array of produce. He farms in the black dirt region of Orange County. So he's got greens, radishes. He's got green garlic right now just piled up. Um, and then there's also Feather Ridge Farm. They have poultry and fresh eggs, and next to them you'll find beautiful fresh berries and produce from Fishkill Farms. And I remember last year, just when the market was getting going, Fishkill had just incredible cherries and blueberries, so I'm really getting excited for, for the little berries to come in as we near that season again. And then on Wednesdays uh, in the market in the corner of Prospect Park, Globaki also sells there. So does Williams Fruit Farm. And then uh, another overlapping producer is American Seafood. So they sell really great wild-caught seafood, um, fresh fish and shellfish. It's caught in Suffolk County. And right now it's actually blowfish tail season, which our director, Michael, is very, very excited about. He was raving about them last year. They've just come back in. And he says you can pan fry them, deep fry them, oven bake them, cook them any way you want. Um, and they're just like chicken rings. There's one big bone in the middle, and then you can just kind of get the meat right off of that, um, and uh, he couldn't recommend that you try them enough. And then another new producer at that market is Goodale Farm, and uh, it's exciting because they actually have milk, so we have milk in the neighborhood on Wednesdays, and it's sold in glass bottles, you put in a deposit, you can bring back the bottle to return it next week, um, and it's just very rich, sweet, I mean, there's nothing like fresh milk. So when blowfish tail becomes like the summer party item, you can say you heard it here first. That sounds delicious. (laughs) And uh, so what else is going on in the neighborhood for those people that aren't so familiar with it? Well, there were actually a lot of people visiting the neighborhood last weekend for the Guga Muga, but (laughs) I don't know if they knew about the markets. (laughs) But um, you, I mean, the park is there. This is the number one catch about the neighborhood. So I'm looking forward to grilling season, and this coming weekend, it's Memorial Day weekend, so I think the name of the game is to get up early, get your produce at the market, and go down to the picnic house and claim a grill so you can have a barbecue and invite your friends. 
Um, and then also, Greenwood Cemetery is a really gorgeous place to explore. That's pretty close by. Um, and then uh, I would also say that the Pavilion Movie Theater is pretty special. It's got this great old marquee, and it's right by where our market is on Wednesdays if you want to catch a Wednesday matinee or if it's um, another Sunday afternoon and you're looking for something to do, go stop by the old movie theater. Cool. Yeah, that all sounds like it would be great for Memorial Day weekend. And uh, what else is going on events-wise around this time? Yeah, so we have other neighborhood markets that are opening up soon. We've got some in Queens that are about to open on June 1st, Socrates Sculpture Park Green Market, and close to it, the Sunnyside Green Market. Those both open Saturday, June 1st. In South Brooklyn, Bay Ridge opens June 1st. And then back up in Queens, the Elmhurst Hospital Green Market opens on Tuesday, June 4th, which is always, they have a huge opening day party. The hospital has like a house band that comes out and plays every year, so it's really fun to look forward to. Um, and then in terms of at-market events, this Sunday at the Cortelu Green Market in Ditmas Park, our market manager, Tali Bialy, is going to be cooking up um, sun-fed beef and teaching people how to make steak sandwiches. So if you want to stop by for a sample or a recipe, that's happening from 11 a.m. to 1. And then I wanted to remind everybody that Union Square is open on Memorial Day. It's our only Monday market, and they will be there even though other people are hanging out and taking the day off, if you forgot to pick up your picnic items, your grilling mm-hmm. items, stop by Union Square and get some and then go out and party. Awesome. Sounds like there's plenty going on. And, uh, of course, listeners, remember to visit grownyc.org backslash our markets and find out more info on the cooking demos, book signings, giveaways, and more happening each week at the Green Market. And if you want more info on the farmers, the market, or volunteer opportunities, check them out at grownyc.org. Follow them on Twitter at Union, I'm sorry, that's at UNSQ Green Market and at NYC Green Markets. So plenty of ways to get involved and up to date, including this very Grow NYC Market update, which is here on Heritage Radio Network every single Thursday. So thanks so much, Gene, and I hope you have a great Memorial Day weekend. You too. All right, we'll see you guys next week for the Farm Report and the Grow NYC Market update. This has been Jack Inslee with HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Follow us on all the social medias. We are there. All of our 30-plus programs on the website, plus membership information. See you next week. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.